So this morning we um, have imported all the way from um, the megalopolis of Marple, um, which is, uh, for those of you who don't know, of course, a suburb of Stockport. You still don't know. Um, Greater Manchester is, uh, we have, and he's not a Mancurian, so uh, yeah, no, no, he, he comes from London, and, and his team uh, got beaten yesterday. Um, but uh, I'll leave you to work that out, um, as, as did mine, okay, as did mine, yeah, yeah, um, different sport, but uh, <laughs> we, um, we, yeah, I met Daniel through uh, Ian and Nad, and, and Daniel was an associate with Ian and Nad Parkinson, whose daughter Alice was an intern with us in 2011. Most of you at Explore have no idea who I'm talking about, but, you know, in the kingdom, relationships just deliver so much. And so um, we're looking at this on rest, and, and Daniel's not preaching purely because he's on sabbatical, so he's supposed to be uh, on rest. Um, but I thought it would be good to just hear a little bit about what rest and sabbatical looks like and a testimony from you. Just very quickly, thank you for your amazing and warm welcome this morning. It was just wonderful to come into a church which is worshipping Jesus, and it's just such a blessing to be here. Uh, I am from London. My team did lose yesterday, 2-1, but hey, the All Blacks beat you guys, didn't they? <laughs> uh, so there was this sort of half smile. I was supporting you guys yesterday. Don't worry, I was there cheering you on. But anyway, c'est la vie. So let me give you a little bit of a... Um, a little bit of a flavor. Um, so here's my life before Sabbath, before I really embraced this idea of what it means to rest well. I just um, started being a vicar of a really successful church. Ian Parkinson, who um, Craig knows, uh, was a great leader to follow. But suddenly I felt this huge weight on my shoulders. I had to be someone I wasn't uh, that had to lead a church in the way that Ian used to lead it, and it's going to grow, and it's going to be successful. And all these things were just sort of grinding me down to the point where I think I was just working non-stop, six days a week working. And then, do you know what? I used to have a day off. But on that day off, guess what we used to do? We used to do the hoovering or the gardening or the banking or anything else that would come into our minds that I hadn't quite managed to do during the six days of work. Because pastors, hey, don't work one day a week. They do work six days a week in our, in our country. And, you know, Craig, how many days do you, you do? Five, six? You're only, oh, only four. Okay, man, you're a super pastor. You don't need to. <laughs> and, do you know, there was this moment in my time when I actually started to resent the work that I was doing. Because basically, it, life had just become a grind. It was going from one thing to another to another. Emails going off, text messages going off. And it was just a grind, hey? And then I got introduced to this tiny bit of scripture, which I'll just quickly read to you, which was, so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. This comes just at the end, just at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2. God's just 
man, he's just created the universe, the biggest bit of work that anyone could ever do, hey? And then guess what he did? He rested. And I'm going to God, yeah, but hang on a minute, I've got all my... No, God rested. Yeah, but I've got to go and pick up... No, God rested. Do you hear what I'm saying? Suddenly, it was like my eyes were open to this whole idea that God had literally built into the fabric of the creation of the universe a time when he calls his people to rest. And that's wonderful. And this day of rest was there to physically rest, but it was also a day that he made holy, which he set apart, which he said, I want you to worship and rest. So the last two years of my life have been about pressing into that. So Friday comes around. We can't do it on a Sunday. We have to work. But Friday comes around, and we always look forward to Fridays, man, because we clear the decks We don't do any work. We turn our phones off because, you know, these things, you think you're resting, but man, a ping goes off or an email goes off or someone tries to contact you. And you know what? That actually disturbs your rest. So we turn our mobile phones off. We even turn the Wi-Fi off when we're feeling really good about life. And we just have a space because we don't have silence, do we? We have a space where there's a bit of silence, where, do you know what? When we turn these things off, suddenly this happens more. We have face-to-face contact in our family so much more. So we do a 24-hour period where we just press into this idea that this is a special day set aside for God where we can rest. And do you know what? Suddenly, my life started to change. Because I rested, well, Walter Brueggemann says, if what you do on the Sabbath will impact what you do for the rest of your week. So suddenly, because we were resting, the rest of the week felt different. Because we were receiving God's blessing on the Sabbath, the rest of the week, we were going, we were living under that blessing. And suddenly, life wasn't a grind so much, but it became something of a joy, of a celebration. Now, don't get me wrong, we still have difficulties, (laughs) and actually... Learning how to Sabbath has been a journey, and I'm still on that journey. I still muck up sometimes. Uh, we still sometimes go, you know, one time we, we were just buying a new car. So I said to my wife, oh, we'll go and pick it up on, on Friday on our day off. It was the worst Sabbath that we could have ever done because we're sitting there filling out forms, picking up our car, which we thought was going to be joyous. Actually, it turned into just something that wasn't right. So Sabbath has been a journey for us, which we're learning, but it comes under two clear areas. One, now I try to say, does it give me rest? And the second I try to ask, the second question I try to ask is, is it worshipful? So if I'm on this, looking at some YouTube video, very interestingly, does it give me rest? Is it worshipful? If I'm going out and having a face-to-face conversation with someone, does it give me rest? Is it worshipful? Well, often when you put those two questions over what you're doing on the day of rest, on a 24-hour period of devoting a day to the Lord, suddenly it starts to temper what you do. And, you know, the most important thing about rest for me, I think, and I'm going to stop here because I'm not meant to be preaching, was this, is that actually when you rest, it restores your soul. And that's the most wonderful thing, because when you rest, it literally enables you to restore your relationship with God. It's It's like oxygen. It like literally you breathe in and you're like, oh, 
I'm with you, Lord, again. It sort of refocuses you, re-strengthens you, just enables you to breathe in the wonderful presence of our Lord. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Brett. Thank you, man. I have a motto, six days invisible, one day incomprehensible. There we go. Um, that's pastoral work, you know. Um, okay. So we're carrying on in our series, The Rest of Your Life. And um, a few weeks ago, we started and then we had a couple of, as it were, interruptions and, 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 and things like that. So I do need to kind of just hit a little bit of a, a refresh on our content But we looked at rest that is rooted in the nature of God and the quality of the rest of your life will be determined by the quality of the rest in your life. So you need to take some time and think about that. God rests and the quality of his rest is absolutely exquisite and and Dan referenced actually which, that which was our main text a couple of weeks ago. So thank you for the refresh uh, as we looked at it. And remember, of course, God didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because being at rest is part of who he absolutely is. And so out of his stillness and rest explodes power, genius, creativity. And the power of our words and our actions will be shaped and determined by the quality of the rest that precedes them. And then God took time to just enjoy and delight. And so there was, a, there was a pause at the end of each day and certainly at the end of each week as he, he considered that which he'd done and then was able to say, this is good. This is very good. This is, this is blessed. And... Uh, and he got to celebrate and appreciate the moments. And then um, we saw the connection, the, the vast array of these multiple components that are held together. And so rest also enables us to gather connectedness uh, between aspects of our lives and those around us. Connectedness to God, connectedness even to our sense of self. Connection back to our emotions, connection back to the things that drive us, connection to God. Um, and so out of rest comes connection. And then we saw that this rest is sacred and holy. God actually literally speaks blessing over rest. And over a rhythm that creates the capacity to rest. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. We turn ordinary things into holy things when we speak blessing. God comes into something seemingly ordinary like another day and he blesses it and it becomes sacred. So rest is not just a good idea for sustainability. But today we want to explore a little bit more and look at rest as justice and warfare. We're thinking of rest as a good idea, as replenishing, as restoring The Bible says yes to all of the above, but at the same time, there's a very interesting narrative around rest as justice and warfare. So we're going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting at verse 1. This is the second record that we have in Scripture. Deuteronomy is, as it were, the second law. Deuteros meaning second, nomos, the law. 
It's the second time the law has described to us, and so we have a repeat of the Ten Commandments. And we're going to read, it's quite a long reading, uh, starting at verse 1. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them, be sure to follow them. Yahweh our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. Moses then explains, at that time I, Moses, stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire, didn't go up the mountain. Moses, of course, had been warmed up by a burning bush, which I'm preaching on tonight at the evening congregation. And the Lord said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, brought you out of the land of slavery. It's going to be significant. Command number one. You shall have no other gods before besides me. You shall not make for yourself an image in any form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. Sure. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. The stuff we do has consequences for several generations. Of those who hate me, but listen to the contrast, but showing love to a thousand generations, to those who love me and who keep my commandments. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Then this one, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember, you were slaves. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Remember you were slaves. Therefore, the Lord has commanded you. Remember you were slaves. Therefore, the Lord has commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long. It may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. 
So I want to talk to you about these 10 random arbitrary rules that God gives to steal our freedoms and make us very unhappy and grumpy. Not so, isn't that the narrative that we believe somehow? Yet it's weird, you know, thinking of a world full of lies and unfaithfulness and untruthfulness and uh, insecurity and jealousy and grabbing, it doesn't seem like a nice life, but somehow the enemy has got us to believe what the serpent told Eve in the garden, that God doesn't actually have your best interest at heart. He's just robbing you of the kind of life and freedom that he has. See, God is establishing law to restrain evil in the evil one. And the evil is very real. So that even if we choose not to love him, we will be restrained from causing harm. Now, believe me, there will, be, there will be harm in not loving him. But the law is given that even if we choose not to live out of the freedom of love, we will be restrained from causing harm. Every single one of these commands is given because there is something or someone deeply valuable and precious to God. And so the first commands start with the value that God places on his own self, on his own person. He cannot be imitated. <laughs> he cannot be reproduced. He cannot even be competed with. <laughs> the value of his image, which, by the way, he places on every single person made in his image and likeness. The value of his own name, the value of rest and stillness that enables us to be creative like him. The value of relationships, the value of every person, every woman, every man, every child, every life. These commands are given profoundly because God has attached value to realities around us. Ten random rules? I think not. I don't think God is a killjoy. I think God is a lover, and lovers protect that which they love and value. Now, of course, love is better than the law. It's far better to freely love and honor the Lord, His image, His name, His day, and every person that is made in His image. But loving is a choice that He won't remove from you. Loving must be a choice in order to be truly loved. And so while we choose, understand this, we can choose to love or not. But we cause utter chaos, pain, suffering, and evil when we don't value what God values. That's why we want our hearts to be like His heart. Evil... It's not some random set of rules that we're breaking. It's the nature and the essence of God that we're in conflict with. And so God, who's by very nature a protector and a healer and a redeemer, we come against him, we come against those things we most need. So one last comment on the bigger context of these commands before we drill down into Sabbath. 
The Bible story will show and argue that while that we are incapable of keeping the law. This is now the big picture of the Bible. But it will show, it will serve to show us that we sin and fall short of our created glory to know and reveal God. That we need God's grace and mercy. However, when we value God and His forgiving grace, we are changed to become those who not only do not murder, but value life. Who who, who not only don't live immoral lives, but who dignify and sanctify and value the honor and purity of the sexes. We're we're not just not wanting to covet, not wanting to take people's bodies and things so that we can have them, but we're actually wanting to give things. We're actually wanting to invest things so that their marriages, their homes, their lives, their bodies are sacred to us because God values them so deeply. Does that make sense? There's something so profound in these laws. I promise you, they're not ten random rules. And if only we understood this, we would understand what has unleashed such pain in our country right now. But I'll leave that for another Sunday. And so too, with that which we value, so too this command to find to keep Sabbath and to find rest, the rest of your life. And so the command comes, make and keep your Sabbath holy. Sabbath needs to be different. That's what it means. It needs to be set apart. It needs to be like, like, a, like a clear cut distinction between this thing called Sabbath that you value and rest that sets it apart. A completely different feel. And it is holy which means of first order is that there is a priority to truly worship as part of your Sabbath. Psalm 96 verse 9 calls us to worship the Lord clothed in the beauty of holiness. It's like we put on holiness as a wardrobe. This picture gets picked up in the New Testament. Radiant and beautiful dressed in holiness, we need to understand this. Holiness is truly beautiful. And when we are clothed in the holiness that God gives us to wear, (laughs) Sabbath becomes part of what we take on, put on, to live beautiful lives for God. Now, there's an obvious parallel to the previous command, which is do not take the Lord's name in vain. In other words, to misuse, mistreat, dismiss as ordinary the name of God. Now, interesting, the name of God was not denied the children of Israel. The name of our God has not been denied to us. It is a name that releases access, authority, The name of God carries profound grace and power as long as we keep it holy and don't make it common. It's a name. Everyone's got a name. But if we all recognize that name and we keep that name holy, we draw its authority and power, its freedom and access. And Jesus says, you want to ask in my name. You want to pray in my name. You want to do stuff in my name. And when we regard his name as special, when we treasure it, when we value it, we receive its grace. 
God has given us a day to treasure, a day to value, a day to make sure that like all other names, there's a name above all names. There's a day above all days in the rhythm of the wisdom of God. Now, you guys are just panicking right now. I can see it in your faces. You think, oh, legalism, here it comes. I think I've given you enough insight into the motivation God has given. You're just worried about the changes you need to make, and therefore you're blaming legalism as the, the subtext, isn't it? We'll keep going. His name is holy. His worship is holy. So too, his day is holy and therefore is set apart and receives priority. You know, when we come together, our gathering is holy. This is the same. And so rest is this chosen stillness in which it is not so much sleep, although sleep is an important part of what we do and helps our rest. It's not even recreation. Recreation is something else we do that takes our mind off our work and enables us to regenerate. But rest is not recreation. Sleep and recreation are good and they're beautiful things. But they're also still not yet the same as rest. And if rest is holy, then it cannot be escapism. Mere escapism. You know, into, I don't know, entertainment or media or addictions or innocent activities that we just don't seem to be able to stop doing. Psalm 23, rest replenishes and restores us. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So often we struggle to rest because we, we fear that we'll end up in a place of lack. And when I frame my walk with God, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And in that place of lying down, being led by God, He restores, He refreshes, He renews my soul. That place in which my thoughts and my emotions and my inner self, and sometimes the Bible uses soul in quite a technical sense. In this sense, it's an all-embracing sense in which it's that, that inner world. My inner life is renewed. So keep it holy. And then the passage says we need to stop our work. On the Sabbath, you shall not do any work. Um, now, some of us stop doing our income-generating work, but we charge ahead with our unpaid work. And that's not going to be helpful. So, you know, as Dan's illustration, we want to rush around and do all the other stuff, the household chores and responsibilities and whatever. Um, now, if we're going to stop paid and unpaid, initially rest is a little bit like the analogy that we saw with the children of Israel. They were promised in the promised land that they were going to go into a land of rest. But guess what? They had to fight for the land in which they were going to find their rest. And when you start and set out and you say, I'm going to stop my work, guess what? It's going to be hard. You're going to have to work at stopping work. 
You're going to have to reframe this thing, and you're going to have to fight to stop fighting. There is a paradox in this space, but if you just keep going as you're going, you will never hit that change. And so there is going to be this tension, this, this, this battle that you will face, this struggle. But I promise you it will absolutely be worth the investment. But probably for some of us, we struggle because our sense of value, our sense of worth, is so intrinsically linked to what we do and produce that we somehow feel less if we're not producing. We fear being insignificant and without worth if we can't show others how important we are by showing them how busy we are. Need that again? We feel less if we can't show others how important that we are by showing them how busy we are. Why? Because we've attached our worth and our value to what we do instead of to the God who has made and loved us. Can you see why putting him first enables you to rest? Because that driver has to stop driving. So I have a confession to make. On Friday, I went to visit someone in our church who's fighting cancer. It's a serious level of cancer. It was a good time. It was a really good time. We had communion together because they can't come here. The doctor's orders, they must stay away from crowds of people because the immune system through the chemo is so suppressed that exposure to an environment like this see them just getting secondary infections. And incredibly, the person in po apologized for the intrusion in my week. Why? Why apologize? Guess what they said? Because I know you're so busy. It was meant as an expression of understanding of selflessness, but it's not a compliment. I take it as a rebuke. When someone who's facing that kind of challenge in life feels they have to apologize to stop at the Lord's table because we are so busy. But, yeah, busyness, Business can be good. <laughs> Busyness as a reputation or as a lifestyle is a curse. But I also can and do take it as a little bit of a compliment. Why? Because I know I'm not that busy. I mean, busy we give and pay my salary might be offended now. But I'm not. I've just got good boundaries. And so people think Craig's not available and they write. I'm with my wife. I'm with my family. I'm with the Lord. I'm in prayer. There are many things that restore and refresh my soul. That because I've got those boundaries, I feel no guilt. 
People think, oh, we can't get hold of him at any time. Well, that's fine. I'm actually okay with that. Not because I am so important and I'm so busy, but because you have a clear sense that your pastor has set parameters to his life. So we live between that affirmation and that rebuke. But we recognize that our value and our worth is not determined by our work. Now I know that that can be a tough thing in an economy like ours when employment is what it is and you can say, Craig, it's easy for you. You've got an income at the end of the month. It's true, isn't it? It's just so hard when that is missing. And I'm aware that that's a challenge that people in our community and some people right here this morning continue to face. But can I tell you that even if that is your space, your value and your worth is not determined by your work, whether you have it or not. And that's important whether you have it or not. In fact, especially important if you can't find work. Because your dignity is not impaired by your lack. Your worth is not determined by your work. And then Sabbath is a form of radical form of justice. We are called to share the Sabbath. You see, in the Sabbath, and the text is very clear, all power relationships are suspended for a day. Everything and Everyone is equal on this day, and everyone gets accorded the same rest. You shall not do any work. And then this, neither you, and this is the form of justice, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, any of your animals, not any foreigner who is in your town. Listen to this. So that your male and female servants may rest as you do. You can't exploit your family, you can't, your servants, regardless of their gender, foreigners, whatever. Even the animals must rest. I don't know if it struck you how crazy it is. You know, we all have, once a year, we have Earth Hour. Anyone, you know, know Earth Hour? We all turn off the lights and we set ourselves up and pat ourselves on the back because we're saving the planet. That's our best human equation, and then we forget, don't we? Um, we think once a week, earth, once a year, earth hour. Once a week, God has Earth Day. Just imagine how different our ecology would be if once a week we had Earth Day. Imagine if Eskom had to dial down the power stations because on Sundays there was just so much less electricity being consumed. For one day a week, interesting in this space no one gets told what to do everyone is accorded the same rest there's no working class because there's no working <laughs> there's no employers because there's no employees all power relationships once a week in God's family there's no king's command once a week even the lowliest servant gets to rest And his little girl 
and climb up on the lap of the man who, who gets told every other day what, of the week what to do. But once a week, his little girl has a daddy who's available. sit in the safety of his lap and hold on tight. That's the vision. That's the compassion of our God. You see, God knows when we don't rest, we force others to work. Hello? Hello? It's not just you. It's the logic of the passage. When we don't rest, we force others to work. Hello? This is serious. Who am I oppressing with my refusal to stop? Sure. We can multiply the examples. In what ways do we keep Work going. I mean, I, I could knock you dead easy with, you know, shopping on a Sunday. Best place to find people from Pinelands Baptist is in pick and pay at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, you know. Guys, someone's got to be there for us. When we don't rest, we force someone else to work. We call butler's pizza. We're forcing someone else to work. We do, you just fill in the blanks. And it just seems so convenient because we haven't prepared. And maybe we believe the lie of the serpent that these rules just steal our freedom. When we don't recognize that actually we are stealing the freedom of others. That's the logic in the passage. And so we need to repent and break agreements with these lies and see again the beauty and the compassion and the wisdom and the holiness and the radiance of our God. Which takes us to this rather startling point at the end. Sabbath overthrows the enemies of God. Sabbath is warfare. You see, there's a parallel passage in Exodus 20 verse 11 that argues for Sabbath on the basis of, of Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2, which is on the basis of creation. So we read, for example, in Exodus 20 verse 11, uh, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth to see and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day and therefore quoting almost exactly from Genesis 2, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. But today's passage in Deuteronomy argues for Sabbath on the basis not of creation, but on the basis of redemption. That you are at rest because you've re been rescued from the cruel power of an oppressor who had a merciless hold over you. You see, Pharaoh was worshipped in Egypt as a God. And he represents in biblical imagery an anti-Messiah. He's everything the Messiah has to overthrow. He is, as it were, one of the first antichrist figures in the metaphorical language of Scripture. 
He is everything a redeemer is not. He is relentless, demanding, destructive, controlling, and has a spirit that gives no one rest. And if you read in the beginning of, you can read the first 10 chapters of the book of Exodus, you will see the spirit of Pharaoh and how he refuses to give rest, how he refuses to dignify people's work and turns their work into forced labor. And he is part of the structures of evil in which demonic spiritual forces find agreement with human spirits. And he had a human spirit and he hardened his heart and therefore eventually God hardened his heart. And why? Why this hardness of heart? Because of the determination to control others. The determination to enslave people with their will. And to never let people breathe and be free. And interesting to worship. And when, when, when Pharaoh was first confronted, the thing that he was told was just to let Israel go for a day so that they might worship. Not like that they can run off to a far land or whatever. Just give them a day to head into the wilderness. They'll need a day to travel into the wilderness. They'll worship and they'll come back. And he wouldn't even give them that. And eventually, the battle begins <laughs> to fight. And there are whole systems of oppression that were part of Egypt. And, and God says, for nearly 400 years, your forefathers served a ruler who never let them stop, never let them rest, never let them celebrate, never appreciate, take delight, who never let them get away from it and worship. And so repeatedly there's this command and call, let my people go so that they can go away to the wild places, have a festival, make sacrifices, and worship me. Those were the first commands given. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6, as, as some of us saw last week, that this is not a fight against flesh and blood, although we will have to master our own flesh and blood. But when we choose to not rest... Not only do we lose the benefits of rest, delight and worship, but we return to the agreements we made with the spirit of the pharaohs. We return, sometimes willingly, to the place of slavery. But this passage says it's not just a creation thing. It's that Jesus has saved you so that you might rest. Jesus has saved you so that you might Sabbath. And we're going to get to that later in our series. Let's pray.